Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, we are approaching the end of, I guess you call it the post-mortem week for the Green Bay Packers. The season is over. Just to get some logistical things out of the way, you and I are going to be doing this show and one more show tomorrow. And then we're going to go dark for a little while because uh, there are going to be some days where we won't both be in the office and all that kind of stuff because we got to take our breaks. So we will uh, be back from the Combine in Indianapolis uh, a little bit later in February. I always look at this like seasons where you have like the regular season unscripted and then like the off season unscripted. <laughs> yeah. It's like all your favorite television shows That's when you right. were a child. Yeah. They didn't go 52 weeks out of the year. You no. had to have some variety mixed in there. Yeah. So. We have to reset. We have to write new scripts. We'll be we good. We don't write scripts. It's unscripted. we got to fake writing some new scripts. Okay. And then right. we'll be back for the combine. <laughs> My point being that with having two shows left here before we take a bit of a break, and tomorrow we'll be hearing from Packers General Manager Brian Gutekunst. He's going to be giving an end-of-season press conference, so I want to save that discussion for tomorrow's show. So what I thought we could do today is actually give our thoughts a little bit on this Super Bowl matchup. The San Francisco 49ers, a week from Sunday, down in Miami, will be taking on the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years, the Niners back in the Super Bowl for the first time since 2012. I don't know what you think, Wes, but I think this is going to be a wildly entertaining Super Bowl, and there are some really, really interesting things from a matchup standpoint that I guess we can jump the gun a little bit because everybody in Miami is going to be talking about it next week. Yeah. So we can uh, we can talk about our thoughts as far as how these teams match up, but I think it's going to be a whale of a game. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, the biggest thing is that you have Patrick Mahomes and that, that style of offense that Kansas City employs going up against Robert Sala's defense. I think yeah. that's a great test for both of those phases of the game. And offensively, seeing exactly how this Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense functions against Kansas City with the defense that I think is better than it was a year ago. Oh, yeah, there's no question. Th that's that's going to be a big test for them and seeing how exactly they defend it. Um, more than anything, though, I just think that this could really be set up to be Patrick Mahomes coming out party to the NFL. Uh, everybody understands he's a, he's won an MVP. He's one of the most exciting young players in the National Football League. But uh, let's be honest. I mean, the Tom Brady, Drew Brees kind of era that that appears to be kind of fading now. So you know, Peyton Manning's gone. Eli Manning is retiring. There is sort of this dearth of like profile superstar quarterbacks out there right now, and Patrick Mahomes is set up to be one of those guys. Yeah, a couple of things that really intrigue me from a matchup standpoint about this game is in the AFC playoffs, we saw that running game of the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry just plowing their way through the Patriots, through the Ravens, and really through the first quarter and a half in Kansas City, where Tennessee had a 17-7 lead in that game. They were controlling the ball, controlling the clock. Then Kansas City's defense stood up to Derrick Henry in the run, and once they were able to slow that down and take it away and the ball was in Patrick Mahomes' hands on a more frequent basis, then the, the Chiefs started to get their separation. So given that the San Francisco 49ers ran the ball 40-plus times against the Minnesota Vikings, ran the ball 40-plus times against the Green Bay Packers to plow their way through the NFC playoffs. 
that to me is interesting now, the, the dynamic of this San Francisco running game against that Chiefs defense that had to stand up to Derrick Henry. Then the flip side of it for me is that this San Francisco defense, which is so good up front, and they do such a good job getting pressure with just a four-man rush most of the time. They don't have to blitz very often. But if there was one thing San Francisco maybe had a little bit of trouble with this year because a lot of it was in their division, it was with the scrambling mobile quarterbacks like Russell Wilson of the Seahawks and Kyler Murray of the Cardinals. They had four games against those guys, and those might have been their four, four of their toughest games of the season. Now their challenge is Patrick Mahomes, and uh, I think that's the the intriguing matchup on the, on the flip side of things from an X's and O's standpoint. It's here. kind of a hipster game, if we're going to be <laughs> honest here, right? Because, like, offensively, maybe outside of George Kittle, I don't really know if you line up any of these San Francisco 49ers, like, skill position players and maybe even Jimmy Garoppolo himself, how many, like, casual football fans are going to be able to point out, oh, that's Rasheem Mostert, you know, that that's Kyle Juszczyk. They just aren't built that way. Right. There just isn't that those those superstars, to keep using that word, in this offense. But they're so effective in what they do. And to be honest with you, Mike, I think this is probably the most dynamic running game that has gone into a Super Bowl since maybe Seattle won it. I mean, that was more based on one player. But it's just it's amazing to watch all these different backs complement one another. I mean, you heard me asking the questions during the week leading up to the San Francisco game. It, it, it is. It's an, it's an unquantifiable strength that I think that they've had all year long that, okay, it can be Mostert. It can be Breida when they've needed him to be that guy. Jeff Wilson had a couple big runs this season. And seeing exactly the way that Kyle Shanahan uses those assets in how Kansas City is going to be able to defend against that. Because as much as you, you, you can point out things the Packers did wrong against the, you know, the 49ers in that game, it's not like they just were running the ball right up the middle for four quarters and the Packers couldn't stop it. It was the different variations of that scheme that maximized those opportunities. Yeah, and, it was outside, inside. Yeah. It was end arounds. It was misdirections. It Traps. Was, it was, I mean, everything. right. It was all. It was all kinds of stuff, and the Packers were, quite frankly, just flustered with all of it. And this is a this is an oversimplification, okay? Okay. But I remember covering high school football, and you might remember this too. Now, the threat of the pass is not there like it is in the NFL, <laughs> but all the top offenses that I covered at that level, it was always predicated on deception, misdirection. Yeah. Can you get guys to think on the defense and make them move a tick slower? San Francisco has incorporated those principles at the NFL level. That is mind-boggling that they've yeah. been able to do that because it wasn't just the Green Bay Packers that had problems solving it. A lot of teams have had problems solving it. Kansas City, as much as this is about Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and all these offensive weapons they have, I think that game is ultimately going to come down to can they stop the run and force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw? Well, that, that personnel that San Francisco has in the running game really is a one-of-a-kind combination yeah. because you talk about the three-headed monster at running back. Not a single one of those guys, Wes, had even reached 140 carries in the regular season, which means not a one of them averaged 10 yard. I'm sorry, averaged 10 carries per game in the regular season because the workload was so spread out. So you have that on top of the fact that you have the best tight end in the game in George Kittle and the best fullback by far in the game in Kyle Juszczyk. That's your run personnel aside, obviously from your you know your main five guys up front on the offensive line. That's an that's a 
an incredible combination of run offense personnel that no one else has, you know, and that's what makes them so special. Now from the tight end position, if George Kittle is the number one tight end in the league, Travis Kelsey for Kansas City is 1A or number two, however you want to phrase it. And he plays a, a very different role from George Kittle. He's maybe not as involved in the running game as Kittle is, but uh, but he's certainly a target for Patrick Mahomes in the passing game, whether it be in those safety valve instances to move the chains or potentially for the big plays down the field. So that part is uh, that part is really interesting here as well, just from a personnel standpoint. It's kind of like when they hand out like MVP and like Offensive Player of the Year. In my opinion, George Kittle is the best tight end in the National Football yeah, League. Yeah, I think so too. Everything, if you put up a job description of a tight end, he excels at all of it. Travis Kelsey is the best playmaking tight end, I feel like, in the National Football League. In the areas that, especially with where it complements this offense, he's exceptional. And Patrick Mahomes has that trust in him. And you can't really understate the fact that since the very beginning, since Kelsey came into this league, he has been a difference maker. There wasn't really a let-up at all. This guy just blew onto the scene and knocked the doors down. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for both of these offenses getting to this stage and having those type of tight ends. Because, Mike, this is putting you on the spot. I don't expect you to be able to answer this. I mean, think of the last time you've seen a Super Bowl with, these, with, with arguably the two top tight ends in the National Football League squaring off against each other. Yeah. I, it's been a hot second. Yeah. I, I can't – I mean, even, even thinking back to – Like 40 you know, minutes to do that. Yeah, even thinking back to, like, say, the Cowboys – dynasty of the early 90s when you know Jay Novacek is you know running up and yeah. down the field you know they had some of those Super Bowls against the Buffalo Bills that that Bills the K-Gun offense was not built on the tight no. end it was, it was built on you know Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas and James Lofton and all of those guys so um you know Don Beebe the, those types of players so yeah it, it's it is hard to it is hard to think of uh of that type of matchup but you know that's going to be a big storyline yeah. in Miami next week and both of the I think both of those tight ends are going to be are going to be rather motivated to prove that that you know now neither one can do anything about the other's production on the yeah. field but I think they're going to be motivated to prove that yeah I'm I'm the best tight end in the league you know that that's that's the mentality of both of those it, guys and it's not a coincidence like that's the biggest point I'm trying to illustrate here I think there's a direct correlation to both of these offenses and both of these teams getting to the Super Bowl with those weapons because you know, all year long, people ask you and I, you know, how do you stop George Kittle? How do you stop tight end X? And it's difficult questions to answer. And the Packers aren't the only ones having to answer it. The tight end is an enigma right now in the NFL. I mean, the way that this position has evolved and adapted, this Rob Gronkowski generation sort of ushered in this new wave where, you know, it's not just a, you don't just have to be a pass catching tight end or an inline blocking tight end. You can be all of it. And you can play in every down in every situation. You can motion out when you need to. You can be in line when you need to. Heck, George Kittle will take a carry when he needs to. Sure. That's just the way that this thing has gone. And yeah, both of these teams, I'm sure practicing against that tight end are going to be ready for what it takes to go up against a high level guy and a high level athlete. But it just adds in another wrinkle that I think this makes us a very Interesting and captivating matchup on so many levels. Yeah, and to back up for a second what I was talking about before with the 49ers and their standard four-man rush that is, that's very much the, the foundation of that defense and how they did have trouble with the mobile quarterbacks, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. 
from a strategic standpoint, if they want to stick with the four-man rush but then have somebody spy Patrick Mahomes and whatnot for the scrambling, that changes the type of coverage you've been playing yeah. all season long because they've been a cover seven you know, rush for cover seven team. Well, if you want to spy, <laughs> if you want to spy Patrick Mahomes, suddenly your cover seven becomes cover six in terms of the numbers back there. And that's, you know, that changes things. And I think that those are the, those are the types of tweaks from an X's and O's standpoint that where the Seahawks and the Cardinals in that NFC West division gave them some trouble. And that's why I said last week when we were standing in the locker room, for my money right now as it stands, that's why Mahomes is the best five-tool running or running back quarterback <laughs> in the National Football League because of the running threat he possesses. Uh, he has the arm. He has the accuracy. He has the, the willpower to stand tall in the pocket and deliver a big downfield strike. And then, by the way, when everything breaks down, he can make a remarkable run like he did last week. Yeah, for that uh, touchdown to, against, to help yeah. them win that game. Yeah, he's just—he's a threat on so many levels. When I, it was in—you know—the Packers won the game, and that was fun, and it obviously was important to to get the bye and, and what it all meant for their season. But the fact that we kind of got robbed of that Rodgers and Mahomes matchup was—you know—that kind of stunk because it's like, yeah, it, yep. it goes back to. These these Brady and Roethlisberger and Breeze matchups, you just don't know how many times you're going to get them. For whatever reason, Russell Wilson seems to be here every three weeks playing the Packers. <laughs> but for the most part, those right. franchise quarterbacks, you just don't get those matchups. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if this goes the way it needs to for Kansas City, the you know last year they felt like they were the team. This year I think they still felt like they were the team, even though they had to weather through some adversity midseason. You know, the Andy Reid angle to all this. I just feel like it is set up for this to be a really statement game for Kansas City. Yeah, that was the other the other thing I wanted to get to here because you just brought up Andy Reid. There are some interesting storylines with regards to the coaching in this. And to start with Andy Reid, this was his seventh time as a head coach in a conference championship game. And before this year, he had only been to the Super Bowl once got the Eagles there one time. They lost at the wire to the Patriots, if I'm not mistaken. So Andy Reid, and that was 15 years ago, so he's back in the Super Bowl for the first time in 15 years, still trying to win his first Super Bowl, having now been to seven conference championship games as a head coach. On the other side, I don't believe, and again, I'll put you on the spot here, but I don't believe there has ever been a father-son combination that have both won Super Bowls as head coaches. No, no, there isn't. So you have the Kyle Shanahan now yeah. as the son of Mike Shanahan. He's the two-time Super Bowl winning coach yeah. of the Denver Broncos. So wow. that's some potential history that could be made here. Um, obviously, two very different coaches at two very different stages of their careers but some really interesting stories that go into how these guys got here and what's at stake for them. You know what I love about Kyle Shanahan's story? Uh, in addition to I think he's just a phenomenal coach. I love his temperament. I even remarked to you when we were in the press box in San Francisco, he just seems like a guy that as a media member you would really enjoy covering based on the few interactions I've had with him. And sure looks like players enjoy playing, playing for him for too. Him. But the thing that I like more than anything with his story is that this wasn't a guy that was the son of Mike Shanahan, so he just got everything that he received. Mike Shanahan was out of the National Football League after, what, 2013? He had to go to Cleveland to be an offensive coordinator. With all due respect to Mike Pettin in the Browns, it, it isn't considered to be one of the pristine jobs in the National Football League over the last 20 years. It's an uphill battle. It's a grind. Right. He, he leaves there after one year. He goes back to being a, you know, 
you look at the, this, you know, now he's in Atlanta. And then suddenly he gets to a Super Bowl with Atlanta. And then he gets this opportunity with San Francisco. Everybody's high on San Francisco after one year. Then Garoppolo tears his ACL and they go 4-12. and 12. They luck into Bosa in the early <laughs> part of this draft. Yeah. It's just all these things had to line up for him to be back in this moment. And for a guy that has talked about it before when he was in, what was it, ninth grade or eighth grade or whatever it was when, when Mike Shanahan won the Super Bowl to, in 32, it, it's it's a remarkable story, and th- that's the part of it that I think I kind of enjoy out of this. Either you're going to see Andy Reid finally get that elusive Super Bowl championship, or you're going to see history be made. And one of those two things, the the other one that doesn't happen, that's that's a huge reality. That you know, that's the beauty, and also the the real. I don't want to say horror. That's the only way that's coming to mind. But, but it's it's the heartbreak of it. The heartbreak yeah. of this game. Yeah. There's, the highs and lows are going to swing so oh, yeah. so far yeah. with who wins this. Well, and when up. you t- and when you talk about Andy Reid and and I, I'm not familiar with his entire coaching tree. It would take me a long time to you know to put all the names together and whatnot. Oh man! But the fact that Andy Reid has not won a Super Bowl, but Doug Peterson from his coaching tree has won a Super Bowl. Who are, ten years ago already. was coaching high school football? Right, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it, you know, there. I think they're. I, I think they're. Uh, yes, in Philly, where Andy Reid, uh, you know, took five Eagles teams to the conference championship in the NFC, only got to one Super Bowl, and then lost to uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. This is a remarkable coaching tree for Reid. Just take this with you for a second. Ten. Former assistants have become head coach. Oh, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh was one of them. So that there's won a, a Super there's Bowl. A, there's another one off the Andy Reid coaching tree who has who has a uh, a Super Bowl ring. But look, listen to this tree, man. This is insane. Brad Childress, whatever you think of Brad Childress, he had success in 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 with the Vikings for a short time. Steve Spagnuolo, who's now his defensive coordinator. Leslie Frazier, Ron Rivera, Pat Shermer, Todd Bowles. Doug Peterson, Sean McDermott, and Matt Nagy. That's a heck of a tree. Gosh, I didn't. I mean, I knew obviously about. I didn't remember that McDermott was. He was his defensive coordinator. Of, yeah, yeah, that's right. In um, in Philly. And then, uh, as we mentioned with regard to Peterson and Harbaugh having won Super Bowls, Ron Rivera has been to a Super Bowl and and unfortunately came up short. So, wow. uh, yeah, that that is uh, um, that is an impressive coaching tree. I think from a coaching standpoint, nothing against the Shanahan's by any means, but I think there's going to be a lot of national fan sentiment towards Andy Reid here to uh you know to finally be able to hoist that Lombardi trophy that that's just what i sense yeah. um and from it should be. from the general national football fan yeah because i mean there's how many guys have been head coaches of the national football league since 1999 him and belichick <laughs> i mean like it's a short list yeah and, and he obviously had to go through two different organizations to be here but this is a guy that when things finally went the way they did in Philadelphia, he got picked right back up by Kansas City. And then, you know, again, this a lot of this goes to John Dorsey. I will continue to bring up his name because he's the guy that had the the intuition to go and draft Mahomes. Yeah, he's the guy he's the guy who picked him. And Trade a lot and a lot of him. people questioned that pick with how high he took him in the first round and uh uh, Dorsey had the courage of his convictions there. He turned out to be dead right. And for the moment that they got there, they, that was a really weak class in 2013 for quarterbacks. I think Geno Smith was the one that got taken first as far as the quarterback's position was concerned. Maybe him or – I forget. Maybe it was – I'm trying to remember. But 
be that as it may, he went and traded the second-round pick, Dorsey did, to get Alex Smith. They draft Eric Fisher, who's now their starting left tackle, and they won right away. Mm -hmm. Reed won right away with that team. They ended up making the decision to move on. They felt confident in Mahomes, and it's only been winning and success ever since then. But, yeah, to your original point for Andy Reed, this is a huge part of the storyline because he's back in the spotlight. Yeah. And that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, I think it's uh, – um... I think it's going to be a whale of a football game. I, I I remember leaning over to you in the third quarter of the NFC Championship last Sunday and saying the uh, the over under for this game might be a hundred points. Yeah. And I and I say that with all due respect to both of these defenses, which are not slouches by any means, right. but with the way San Francisco can run the football and with the way Patrick Mahomes can run around and throw and make plays and everything. I just I, I think this is potentially a now I don't know if it'll be the same as that Eagles uh, uh, Eagles Patriots Super Bowl from a couple of years ago right but I think this has the potential to be to be a really high scoring Super Bowl even with what have been some pretty darn good defenses out there on the field yeah and two former Packer connections in this game too Mike Pennell who was signed midseason by Kansas City actually started. Uh, in the AFC Championship game at nose tackle for them. And then also Bashad Breland, who spent last right. season with Breland the Green Bay Packers. Is, uh, Breland is a starting corner for, they will for Kansas City. both play for Kansas City. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's great. It's going to be a fun week uh, in the le week leading up to that. Um, still want to be able to be a part of one of these things. I still want to cover one of them. It's always been sort of weird uh, watching these things from home, but, uh, you know, maybe soon enough. And, Hopefully. As Aaron Jones said after the game on Sunday, I mean, he stood out there for a couple seconds extra. He wanted to watch the, them put on the hats and get the trophy and everything. He wanted to feel that. So then maybe next year they can reverse those fortunes. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, the Packers are certainly going to do everything they can to make a run at it. And we will hear from General Manager Brian Gutekunst tomorrow on his thoughts moving forward here as the, uh, as the Packers try to take that next step in 2020. In the season finale, or, or <laughs> season A, of Packers Unscripted. Yeah, we will uh, We will be signing off after tomorrow's show. For now, we're calling it a wrap on this particular edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to continue following all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and the YouTube channel, the Packers YouTube channel, has all kinds of great video content. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.